Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Domingo Santana, ooh, I wanna have ya. Tanakas, Fakata, Jag, like Michael Waka, Polanco, and Franco. Happy Kokomo Friday. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today. Frank Stample joined by Scott White and Chris Towers. Now, what's up, Chris? You good? Yeah. Excited? Uh, Yeah. It it sounded like you just liked to hear you say his name. Yeah. It's just, you know, how sometimes you you like in, uh, you know, in in the Mandalorian when he learned Grogu's name and he just kept saying it and Grogu would just look up at him every time he said it. It was kind of like that. You know, just like, I just like the way you say my name. Well, I appreciate that, Chris, and I have no idea what you're talking about because I have not watched The Mandalorian. Surprise. Oh, sorry. Spoiler alert. Baby Yoda's name is not Baby Yoda. Wow. I mean, do I even need to watch it now? It's like between that, Seinfeld, people are coming at me. They did not like the Seinfeld take, Scott. So, Also, uh, Darth Vader take. <laughs> is Luke, Luke Skywalker's father. Oh, well, I mean, come on. Sorry. Just ruined everything. You had to learn, and he was Anakin Skywalker. You had to learn sometime, Frank. We can't shelter you from the world. Get out of here. That was probably, that that wasn't my first Azer take, but that was was definitely an Azer take, so I deserve (laughs) that. Um, I got to go back and watch Seinfeld. I don't know. I got to give it another shot. I tried. I'll try again. Well, it's not a show that you should probably watch from the first episode, because it's it's a show where the first episode is probably the worst episode. Yeah, Elaine's not in it. Right, pilot. It's a very different show. Yeah. Um, I would go to the IMDb page for Seinfeld and see the highest rated episodes and just go down the list that way. That's probably the best way to enjoy a, a non-serialized show like that. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, I could do that for five to ten just to get myself ingrained into it. But then I, I would like to watch it in chronological order, even though it probably doesn't matter. But I don't know. I just have a weird thing with organization. We are now inside two weeks of opening day. And the weirdest part is that I am already all drafted out and I haven't even had my main drafts yet, which is the weirdest part. Has that happened to either of you? Uh, you Oh yeah. I'm burnt out. It's it's March 18th, 19th. I'm yeah, I'm burnt out. I'm I'm looking forward to Scott giving me back my week, my weekday nights, you know, he's taking all my time up. With mock drafts. Yeah, with mock drafts. There are still, there are still gonna be these podcasts we have to do. You know? Yeah, but I have to do the podcast now anyway. Okay. But now like I stop working at like six thirty and I gotta do a podcast at eight. I'm staring at my phone all afternoon. It's bad for my eyes, Scott. You're ruining my eyesight. There are times where I step away from the computer after just hours and I feel like my vision is blurry. I don't know. I think I'm losing it. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Uh, it's a big weekend, though. I've got the NFBC main event. I've got Tout Wars head-to-head salary cap draft on Sunday as well. So very busy time. I've got to get myself into the draft spirit somehow. You know what's not going to do it? This unfortunate news about Carlos Carrasco. So let's start there. 
the biggest news maybe of the spring so far. I'm probably forgetting something, but definitely the biggest news uh, from the past couple of days. Carlos Carrasco has a hamstring tear and will be sidelined a minimum of six to eight weeks. And this is even more unfortunate because he was the player I loved. And I really did like the value that you were getting him at before all of this started up, the inf- the elbow inflammation, now the hamstring tear. And I, I mean, it's, it's a nice story because he was coming back from obviously uh, leukemia last year and he, he pitched really well. So um, that brings us to about early to mid-May as the timeline for Carrasco. And then he still has to ramp back up. So there is a chance that we will not see Carlos Carrasco pitch for the Mets until sometime in June at the earliest. So it's a really tough call right now. I dropped Carrasco down to SP49 in Roto and SP54 in head-to-head points, just behind names like Corey Kluber, Marcus Stroman, who I'll talk about a little bit later on as well, and Jamison Tyone. Scott, your first reaction to this Carrasco news and how far I dropped him in the ranks. <laughs> well, it surprised me how far you dropped him down, and, and then I looked into it a little more, and, and you know they were classifying it as a a tear as opposed to a strain and you know Which, every strain is a tear yeah, that's every strain is a tear but when they they call it a tear yeah. that usually signals it's a worse strain. usually means it's a grade two strain grade yeah. one if they just call it a strain and they don't specify it's usually grade one which is you know the most minor version grade two at least you know does i think it's like some actual great like grade one is like a stretch I think grade two is where you actually have like a disconnect. Yeah. Um, six to eight weeks is not an official timetable. I kind of feel like that's just the timetable everybody goes to when they don't have a timetable. It's like the all purpose timetable. I have a rule for driving. It takes 15 minutes to get everywhere. And that's surprisingly true a lot of the time. But anyway, I digress. I'm heavily invested in Carlos Carrasco. I have him in TGFBI. I have him in the Memorial Magazine League, which we, you know, the, the salary cap draft we did the other day. I thought I had him in Tout Wars too. Thankfully, I do not. Uh, but it's it's disappointing because he's somebody I expected to draft a lot. And maybe I still will. I mean, if he's dropping, dropping outside the top 50, I... I see him more in the 45 range. I still think I'd take him over from Valdez. We don't really know what the timetable looks like for Valdez either. I imagine he'll be back sooner than Carrasco, but that's that's a, a vaguer one. And plus, Carrasco's better. This is why I try to over-invest in pitching, try to get more than I actually need, because this will not be the last injury to a high-profile pitcher, and it won't be the, the worst injury to a high-profile pitcher. There will be more. This is the first Thankfully, it doesn't look like a season ender, but there will be more. Chris, your initial reaction here to Carlos Carrasco and how far I dropped him in the ranks. I mean, you know, definitively behind, I think for sure, Frankie Montas, um, Aaron Savale, that entire group, Mike Soroka. I dropped him behind Soroka because Soroka's going to be back sooner. We're probably going to see him at some time in April. Not that he'll be as good as Carrasco, but if we get a whole another month or two out of Soroka, I think that makes sense as well. So what do you think about dropping him this far and your reaction to Carrasco? Uh, it stinks. I, I hate to see any injury, but especially one, you know, suffered during a, you know, he was like what running the bases in like a drill or something. Um, that, that stinks. You hate to see that. My initial thought is, 
looking at it, I I, I think I want to move him to 49th. And not just because I want to be slightly more pessimistic than Frank. Um, <laughs> You're one-upping him. One, I, I, yeah, I'm trying to be one more pessimistic than him. No, um, it's that I'm looking at my rankings and I've got maybe maybe 46, actually. Because I've got Shohei Otani at 45. And if Carrasco comes back in, let's say, mid-May... I would think he'll probably get a similar number of innings for the whole season as Shohei Otani. And I think they'll probably be fairly similar. You know, I, I think Carrasco is more of a sure thing, mm-hmm. but Shohei Otani's currently healthy. So I right. think you can kind of balance those out. And I think, you know, that might make sense. The other one I was thinking was like Tristan McKenzie's 51 for me. And I, I know I'm higher uh, on him than just about anyone. Uh, and that's a similar one where I think Tristan McKenzie will probably throw a similar number of innings for Cleveland. And, you know, I, I think he's really good. Uh, but I, I think 46 makes a little more sense. So just behind Shohei Otani, just ahead of Marco Gonzalez. Here's a question, though. What's the case? I, I assume you guys have Luis Severino, Noah Syndergaard, and Chris Sale in like the 70-plus range at SP. Mm-hmm. At this point, what's the case for Carrasco over Severino? So like Severino's yeah. a healthy Severino's better. Yeah, I I think we don't know that Severino's going to be healthy either sure. way he returns. I mean, he's right. he had stuff he's even before. Your, he had stuff even before Tommy John. He, right. you know, but he so, is currently right. healthier. I think Syndergaard's going to be the first one back of all the Tommy uh, John recoveries. Severino's the first one to throw breaking balls, I believe, off a mound. I think that was today he did that for the first time. I don't think Syndergaard's done that. Syndergaard I think he was throwing off a mound today, and the reports was like he hit 96, so he's still clearly, yep. you know, working his way back. Um, mm-hmm. It sounds like Sale is, you know, uh, well behind them at this point. He go. It, it might speak to them being undervalued, but I don't know. It's it's hard to have a. We're still months out from many of them returning, so it's hard in the recovery from Tommy John surgery to have a clear timeline for that. Yeah, and the severity of the injury. I mean, we don't know that they'll be exactly right. They'll be yeah. exactly themselves when they come back. When I would, I would bet Carrasco is. I mean, anytime you're talking about a muscle strain with like Carrasco, no matter what part of the body is, there's always the risk of them trying to push it too hard too soon and, and mm-hmm. aggravating it. But as long as as long as that doesn't happen, Carrasco should be fine once he's recovered. And uh, like the person you drafted, and you bring up a good point there with that comparison between Carrasco and Tristan McKenzie. You know. Let's assume Carrasco misses the first two months of the season, comes back at start of June. You know the the to- inning total will probably be comparable, but you'd always rather have the innings over a smaller yeah. sample of starts because those starts are going to be more impactful than. But we don't the, know the five inning outings that McKenzie's going yeah. to give you. Yeah, we don't know. Like I'm assuming Tristan McKenzie not going to be in the rotation for a couple of months, um, or you know. So I think it's it's somewhat similar, but I will point out, you know, I looked up, just did a quick Google search, MLB grade two hamstring pull. Uh, there's quite a number of results that came up, but one that was interesting was CC Sabathia in 2017. He was a little bit older than Carlos Carrasco, um, but he had a grade two hamstring strain and he missed about 21 days, about three weeks, it looks like. He was out wow. from June 13th to July 4th. Um, 
that doesn't necessarily mean anything, yeah. but it's if it was know. a midseason injury, he was already built up and yeah. yeah. And there's like, you know, I think George Springer missed longer with his hamstring injury in 2019. I know in NFL, Austin Eckler missed like eight or eight to 10 weeks with a grade two hamstring strain. So even within grade two, there is, uh, you know, room for, for nuance and none of us are doctors anyway. So. By the way, on the podcast today, outside of Carrasco, we're going to be talking about rankings movers, players that we are that are rising up our ranks and players that we are also dropping. So very relevant conversation here with Carrasco to figure out where we are going to be uh, ranking him for this season because I uh, this weekend in particular, I assume there will be a lot of drafts going on. Um, I put up a poll earlier asking whether you would rather have Carlos Carrasco or Framber Valdez. And Scott, you already answered this question. You said you would still rather have Carrasco. What do you think the result the results of that poll were? Well, I participated in it, so I have a pretty good idea. It was close, but Carrasco was ahead when I saw it. What do you think, Chris? I think it was close, but Carrasco was ahead. So we're 346 votes in, and Framber Valdez is leading the poll. 50%. Okay. 50.6%. So just barely, but it tells you... I mean, knowing what we know now, which is not really much about Framber Valdez outside of the fact that he is not going to have surgery. Um, Whatever, it's 350 people on Twitter, so it doesn't matter that much. But it's interesting to see how people are feeling about news as soon as it happens. So, Yeah, there's there's always an initial reaction that's much stronger than, you know, I think what, what might end up being the case at least. Alrighty, before we move on, FPT listeners, we want you to compete with us in our bracket challenge game. And I will just point out, by the time you are hearing this, which will be Friday morning, you better get that bracket in soon because the games start early on Friday afternoon. If you are watching us, then you're going to want to jump into that bracket challenge right now. Scott, Chris, and myself, we will all be in there and we want you to join us as well. CBSSports.com slash FBT brackets. And the winner not only gets a $100 gift card to Paramount Plus, but an entry into our For the People Listener League 16-team head-to-head categories draft. And who enters just one pool? You can also create a group to compete against Against friends and fill out your bracket for the chance to win a Nissan Rogue and a trip to the 2022 Final Four. You can play on the CBS Sports app or at cbsports.com slash FBT brackets. If you're drafting this weekend, the one player you must have is blank. Chris, fill in the <laughs> blank. Um, I might be able to fill it in for you. Byron Buxton? It's not Byron Buxton because he, you know, I didn't draft. Well, I did draft him in today's draft. Uh, he is one of my most, he's probably my most drafted player now because I didn't draft Ian Anderson. But I would say Ian Anderson comes closer to being a must draft for me. Um, it actually might be Max Scherzer. I, that's, that's threading a needle there. It is, um, <laughs> but I just, I'm only concerned about injury with him. Like given the fact that his velocity was fine last year, his peripherals were mostly fine. There was a little bit of inc- increase in walk rate, um, which was uncharacteristic. I, and the fact that he's been amazing in spring uncharacteristically as well. It just makes me think as long as he's on the mound, he's going to be one of the four best pitchers in, in baseball. And uh, 
you can get him for cheaper than that. And he's fully capable, so as we know, throwing say, 200 innings. So when you say must draft, let's say you're picking 11th or 12th, do you take him at that the start? That makes it hard. Too? Yeah, that, but that that's always the thing with like an early dra- round draft pick. It's a lot easier to say yeah. I must draft Byron Buxton because I can just take yeah. him from well, any spot. Why, yeah. My, my mind immediately went to like late rounders because I actually have yeah. more control over that. Uh, and I, I may surprise you with this answer because someone we've hardly talked about. Ooh, juicy. Let's uh, go. Uh, I, I think the player I will be most disappointed if I don't draft is, is Ty France of, the, of the Seattle Mariners, who is I've, having. I've grown more interested in him as time has gone on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's having a bonkers spring. He he's the guy, by the way, who hit 399 at AAA two years ago uh, with an OPS approaching 1300, which, you know, it was it was the PCL. It was a juiced ball. But regardless, nobody else in the PCL with the juiced ball was doing that. I don't think Ty France is a 400 hitter in the majors, but I do think he's a good hitter. Last year, he hit over 300. Um, I think he has power, potentially 30 homer power. Safer to say 20, but potentially 30 homer power. He's going to play every day, primarily at DH, but they're also going to give him time at second, where he's already eligible. First and third. So he's going to be a multi-eligible player, I think, a third of the way through the season. He'll have that. Um, late round batting average help, like I said, and, and I, I think a, a higher ceiling than his ADP is giving him credit for. So, you know, in those shallower leagues, like a head-to-head points league, that's somebody I could see myself taking with my very last pick. And in deeper rotisserie leagues, you know, my second or third to last pick. And uh, I I expect to be heavily invested in him going into the season. You know, in in looking at my most drafted players column that came out on CBSSports.com yesterday, I I think I'll go a little later than Zach or Max Scherzer, and that's Zach Greinke, who... Uh, I'm drafting, he's been on four of my 13 teams uh, so far, and I'm drafting him 70th overall on average compared to a 107 ADP. So that that's probably the actual answer, uh, is if there's one guy I'm going to reach on, it's probably Zach Greinke. The oldies, I appreciate it because we talked love about it. prospects on yesterday's podcast, and let's show some love to the, to the veterans as well that might be able to Get it done this season also. Uh, Chris, I've noticed that some of the rotations you've been drafting are you'll have Scherzer and Granke, but then you'll pair them up with some young guys like a Sixto Sanchez or Sandy Alcantara. Are you consciously doing that to, to get some young upside with the older guys? Yeah, it's it's not Sixto Sanchez. It's Ian Anderson. I think okay. my ideal rotation front four is uh, Scherzer, Granke, Ian Anderson and Sandy Alcantara, because that's three guys I think could throw 200 innings. Um, two, three guys who I think could be truly elite on an, a per-inning basis. And then Alcantara, I just think he's rock solid. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about Alcantara in a little bit because he is moving up, I think, all of our rankings. Scott, for sure, sent that over. So we will uh, talk about Alcantara in a little bit. Marcus Stroman. Haven't talked about him much. I think he's kind of overlooked... All throughout the draft season, I've thought to myself, you know, he's just undervalued. I think he's undervalued. He might not be flashy, but I'm growing more interested in Stroman because he has this new split changeup that he's talking about. He's getting more whiffs, more strikeouts in spring. 
not that I want to be influenced too much. I moved him up slightly to, to SP48, so he is inside my top 50 starting pitchers now. But someone who routinely in the past has gone deep into his starts, he's going to have a pretty good offense, solid run support with the New York Mets as well. Tougher division, but I think, yeah, I think wins are going to be a good possibility for him. And uh, I am growing excited about Marcus Stroman on Thursday against the Nationals. Five innings, two hits, one earned, zero walks, six strikeouts. He has more strikeouts than innings pitched in the spring. So Here's, here's the problem I have with Stroman. Mm-hmm. His whip the past four seasons, 131, 148, 131, 129. Now, maybe he becomes not so ground ball reliant with that new pitch, becomes more of a strikeout pitcher, and, and the whole profile changes. I, it's possible. I'd bet against it as long as his track record is. And like those kind of whips with the pitching staff I plan to have, like that's going to be a guy who just pulls that stat down for me. So, uh, you know, if you're not as invested in pitching, I think Stroman makes sense. But if you, if you try to invest a lot in pitching like I do, I just like that's a guy I just have no interest in. No, that's a fair point on the whip. And, and similar to Dallas Keuchel, we talk about as another innings eater type. He's had very high whips in his uh, the past four or five seasons for him as well. The three of the past four years for Stroman, 184 or more innings pitched. So in a year where we are looking for some volume, he sat out last year. Some might look at that as a as a flaw. Oh, well, how yeah. many innings is he going to throw this year? I mean, he's a veteran. He's done it before. I think the year off might actually help him. He might be fresher. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I like think more on points leagues. Yeah, yeah I think the more relevant thing is have you done it before than what did you do last season? In terms of innings, let's move over to some of those rankings movers, players that are rising up the ranks, and we'll start with some of these for for you, Scott and Austin Meadows. I mean, I don't want to say I told you so, but kind of told you so. Uh, he has been pretty good so far in the spring. He has five hits, five five for twenty, so it's not he hasn't been amazing. Four of those hits have gone for home runs, so I think that we are uh, a little bit more excited because of that. He also. Had a steal the other day, a home run in the ste- and a steal in the same game. Do you remember what we called that last year, Scott? Something dumb. <laughs> Was it a sweet and savory? A sweet and savory. Chris, I don't know oh, if you were around God. for that. What do you think? A home run and a steal in the same game, a sweet and savory. Okay. Uh, that makes sense. <laughs> sure. All right. <laughs> I'll take any I'll take any support I could get because not a, not a lot of people liked it. Um Yeah, he, Me- Meadows has an 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 083 Babbitt. In spring, so you know, feel a little better about those uh, about that low batting average, Frank. <laughs> Got well, one hit on twelve balls in play. It doesn't matter. Oh, wait, no, <laughs> I did the math wrong. It doesn't matter what your babbit is when everything goes over the fence, Chris. Twelve fifty. So when he no one one twenty five. I'm saying that's that's a good thing. That bolsters your case. That's right. Yeah. When uh, that babbit normalizes, he's going to be hitting like four hundred. <laughs> Scott, tell us uh, tell us how high you're moving Austin Meadows up your outfield ranks. The one that I'm wrestling with right now. Is him versus his teammate Randy Orozarena, and that's where yeah. I kind of draw the line. Where are you? Yeah, it's interesting. I have a raised cluster there because Brandon Lau, mostly because of his second base eligibility, is in that same range. I'm trying to find where I have Meadows now. Okay, so I've moved Meadows up above them. I actually have him as high as sixteenth. I guess I already made the move to move him up because I can't move him up any more than that. He's sixteenth in my outfield rankings, but in between Nick Castellanos who is right behind Luis Robert. Oh, this is head-to-head. Hang on. Let me check Roto. Okay. 18th for Austin Meadows, but still behind Nick Castellanos, right behind him, ahead of Arizona, 
ahead of Brandon Lau, Charlie Blackman, Michael Conforto. Uh, I, I drafted him today in uh, in the head-to-head categories mock we did. I drafted him with the first pick of round eight. I chose him over Trent Grisham because I already had a lot of stolen bases. And I chose him over a fourth starting pitcher, which I may regret, but that's what I chose to do in that draft because it seemed like good value round eight in the categories league. Speaking of Trent... Yeah, he looks good. Speaking of Trent Grisham, I have dropped him a little bit to my to outfield 20 just dealing with this hamstring injury. It seems like he's he should be good to go for opening day, but just a little tentative based on this hamstring. I guess there's still a chance he could start the year on the IL. Um, you know what's interesting is... So we talk about how second base is weak all the time. So I got to elevate all these second basemen in my rankings. I just I just hyped Ty France, who I think is going to be multi-eligible, but currently only second base. I love Brendan Rodgers. I've talked about him a few times. I love him as a breakout candidate. Jonathan India, I think, is an interesting sleeper yeah. who's going to pick up second base for the Reds if they stick with this Suarez to shortstop plan. Uh, I like Jorge Polanco as a sleeper who's going to pick up second base. I think he's a strong bounce back candidate for the Twins. Like I, I, I like so many late round second basemen that if I plan on drafting two or three of them, like I don't know that I need to invest in second base at all. That's I, well, I'm kind of I'm kind of frustrating with how many second basemen <laughs> I'm ending up with every draft. And like I would, I, you did, did you mention Tommy LaStella? I, I didn't. I'm I'm not really on board with that. But well, I think he's going to bat leadoff uh, yeah. in spring. He's batting leadoff against lefties and righties pretty much every game that he's in. So I think it is every game that he's in. That'd um, be great if he plays every day. I'm still yeah. skeptical. And then also left-handed hitter at San Francisco. I mean, maybe those archways are covered again. Yeah. The power's fine, but it was it was all already a slim margin he was working with with the power. Yeah, I'm not expecting him to be a 25 homer guy, but I think if he hits 16 homers and bats close to 300, like I'm okay with that. Uh, if he's batting leadoff, I, I, you know, Nick Solak, someone we liked a lot last year, Gavin Lux, who. Um, you know, I think is still being overlooked. It it's not. I, I don't know. Second base is weak, but like it's also got a pretty solid top eleven. I've got eleven second basemen in my top one hundred. Also, Bobby Witt didn't mention him. He might be the most hyped of all the. Again, doesn't have second right away, but if he makes the team, it'll be as the starting second baseman. Brandon so, Rogers, Andres Jimenez is second base eligible. Yeah, And I may be alone on this one, but if I ended up with Colton Wong in as my starting second baseman in a Roto League, I think I'm okay with that. He's going to bat high in that order. He's, uh, you know, can hit 265 and steal 15 to 20 bases in the right uh, scenario. So, yep. Uh, it, it, second base is, it's the worst non-catcher position, but assuming... I mean, we don't know about the batted ball and or the the dejuiced ball and home runs are happening at a higher rate than ever so far this spring. So I'm skeptical that they're using it, or if they are using it, it's going to be even weirder than we expected. So, um, you know, <laughs> I think that's kind of the big thing. Second base would be the position most impacted by a dejuiced ball. You mentioned a few that's names more for the elite guys. You mentioned a few names there, Chris, that I've also moved up the ranks. Andres Jimenez at second base. I moved up to 15th and mm-hmm. he's better for Roto, but could give you 10 to 15 home runs, 20 plus steals. And it, it's not just that he's having a great spring, which he is, 
we have we got confirmation that he will be the starting shortstop for the Cleveland Indians. So he'll have that. Uh, well, I think it's second shortstop and third base eligibility at yeah. at some point. So that's very valuable. I think he already has that on yeah. CBS. Uh, and Colton Wong, I moved up to my 17th ranked second baseman just ahead of Jake Cronenworth, Chris Taylor, Gavin Lux. I'm with you. If he remains in the leadoff spot for the Brewers and he hits, he could score 90 plus runs. That is a very undervalued asset. Someone who's rising for you, Chris, is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Is this all spring training based? Because he has been awesome as well. He is 9 for 17 in the spring with... Five walks to two strikeouts. You like that plate discipline? And I believe it was of the 12 batted balls that have been tracked by StatCast, he has a, I think it was like a 19-degree launch angle, which would be by far the highest of his career. Yeah, I, um, I'm i trying to look up that, that up now, but for me, it's mostly like, oh, he's lost weight. Cool, great. That's good for him. He, you know, his... Clothes probably fit better. His profile looks better. I'm I'm trying to be there right with you, Vladito, but I don't really care until I see some results from it. And we're seeing in the spring, he's hitting the crap out of the ball, which we we know he can hit the ball hard. He hits the ball, you know, he's kind of just shy of Giancarlo Stanton um, in terms of elite max exit velo. And now he does appear to be hitting the ball in the air more. And that's the key. Like if he, he doesn't have to be Joey Gallo, but if he just consistently hits more line drives and ground balls than, or line drives and fly balls than ground balls, the talent is otherworldly. And so now that we're starting to see some evidence of it, uh, I'm, I don't think I've drafted him yet and I need to Yeah, at this, some point. This is one of those FOMO situations. That's yeah. how I felt right towards the end of draft season last year about Luis Robert and he's crushing balls in, in summer camp. And uh, yeah, Vlad, it could happen. We know he's a big upside guy. He, it hasn't happened yet. One of these years, it's probably going to happen. Best shape of his life. And yeah, you really did. You moved him up to your sixth ranked first baseman um, just ahead of Luke Voigt, Matt Olson, and Paul Goldschmidt. He is eighth for Scott at first base. He is seventh for... Me. Let's uh, let's yeah. jump back over here. Uh, Sandy Alcantara, we spoke about him yesterday, Scott, and how awesome he looked against, I believe it was the Mets, nine strikeouts over five innings, 14 whiffs on 64 pitches. He did enough to be named the opening day starter for the Miami Marlins. I have moved him up to SP37, so he's a riser for me. Just ahead of Dylan Bundy, how, higher, how far are you moving Alcantara up the ranks? Let's see. So I actually have Bundy 29th. I have Bundy much higher. Uh, I'm thinking 36, moving him ahead of Corbin, who I need to move down, Patrick Corbin, uh, moving Alcantara ahead of his teammate Sixto Sanchez, moving him ahead of Sonny Gray, who uh, is is going to be an, an entry into my bus 3.0 column coming out tomorrow. Vladimir Guerrero, by the way, being removed from my bus. Uh, so yeah, 36, that puts him just behind Charlie Morton and Lance McCullers. Um, I like McCullers a lot. He's a breakout for me this year, um, as Alcantara now is too. So it'll be a close call between those two, but I think I'm going to stick with McCullers ahead of Alcantara. I'll slot him in there at 36. That's exactly where I was too, Scott. Is I like McCullers a good amount. Um, I the, Sandy Alcantara is young enough where he can still progress to a point that we haven't seen yet before. 
Uh, so I don't want to discount that possibility. But yeah, I kind of st- I drew the line there with with McCullers. Chris, who would you rather have between Sandy Alcantara and McCullers? Yeah, I have McCullers where you guys have him. Uh, he's 36 for me, so right in that same range. But I've got Alcantara 32. Mm. Um, yeah. And Homer. I'll, I mean, <laughs> I, I think anyone who knows me and how I feel and talk about the Marlins should be pretty cl- like I never liked Alcantara. I thought that was an awful return for Marcelo Zuna. I admit I kind of look like an idiot for that one because uh, he looks really good. And Zach his- Allen came back too. Oh, wait. <sighs> Ooh. Hey, they got Jess Chisholm. You know, <laughs> Sandy Alcantara and Jess Chisholm is, is pretty cool. Uh, no, um, like Alcantara has a 372 ERA in 2019 and 2020. Now he has a 440 FIP, so you can just kind of write that off if you want, but he's consistently outperformed his FIP in the major leagues. Um, he is really hard to square up. And last season, the walk rate and strikeout weight rate improved. And it was only seven games, small sample size caveats all around, but uh, the swing strike rate on his changeup and slider both improved. Um, he's throwing more four seam fastballs this spring with the intention of getting more swinging strikes. There's never any question about the quality of the stuff. Yeah. Um, actually, that nine strikeout game he had was it yesterday? Uh, most of the whiffs, I think he had seven whiffs on his sinker. Um, and he was kind of really? doing a little bit of, I think that's what I saw. And he was doing a little bit of the I, Andrew I thought it Heaney. Was the curveball. I thought the curveball was the one getting all the whiffs. Did I you, thought he had a ton of whiffs on the, on the. Is that is there somewhere sink. you can look that up? Because I, I don't. Yeah, I'll, I'll look for it. Uh, it's I, on I, Baseball Savant. I'll pull it up is for it? you if you keep talking. I, Chris. I keep I keep trying to find that number on Baseball Savant. I can't find it. They they redesigned their stuff. You got to go to Player Breakdowns. He had. Why do they keep changing it? I like it. They're adding more stuff. <laughs> Let them be. Yeah, he had five five whiffs on f- 18 sinkers. Uh, yesterday, he had two on the four-seamer, five on the changeup, three on the curveball, yep. one mm-hmm. on the slider. Fantastic. Um, oh, I was underselling him. That kind of goes against the narrative of him. You know, he, he's talked about how he needs to throw his four-seamer more. His four-seamer had the same swinging strike rate as Max Scherzer's last year, basically. It's, it's a really good swing and miss pitch for a four-seamer. Um, so I was largely crediting that for what we're seeing this spring. I don't know. I need to, yeah, I this need is to, just need one to show start. me how to look into that data. So it's just one start. Um, he does have 19 strikeouts and 12 and two thirds innings so far this spring. Yeah. Eight walks. That's not great, but I think five of them came in one outing. So it's, you know, that kind of thing can skew your numbers. Um, I, I just think he's really solid. I think he's, probably in the top 10 or 15 most likely pitchers to throw 200 innings this season. Um, yeah. Well, and, that's an advantage he has over McCullers for sure. Yeah, that's yes. kind of why I'm hesitating on it because all but one of his starts, it was an injury shortened season, all but one of his starts were 6-plus last year, Alcantara's, yep. and I think he had 11 starts of 7-plus in 2019. Yeah, 2019 down the stretch especially, he was racking up huge inning totals. Uh his last 10 starts, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of them, seven of his last 10 starts were seven plus innings and all but one were at least six. And that one was a five and two thirds innings uh, game. Partially, I think he had a really low BABIP in that stretch, but he the control was better 
in that time. And I, I think, you know, Frank, you and I mentioned it in a podcast last week. The comp is peak Carlos Martinez, never an elite strikeout rate guy. But if he can keep that walk rate to like three, 3.2 per nine, I think he's going to be really solid. Well, that's the next step of his progression, Chris. If he gets his walks below three per nine, then we yeah. could really see a breakout season because he's going deep into his starts, even walking guys as much as he does. Yeah. If he cuts those walks down just a little bit, then he's going to be more efficient. He's going to go deeper into starts, and that could even lead to more strikeouts as well for him. So again, that was Sandy Alcantara. We've been talking about him a lot recently, but I think for good reason. He's looked really good in the spring and should give you a lot of volume this season as well. We are going to hit a quick break, but I want to remind everyone that the deadline to get your podcast listener league submissions in is next week on Tuesday. So we already have a ton of great photoshops, cropped images of myself, Scott, Chris, Adam as well. Continue to send those in. Fantasy baseball at cbsi.com. That's the letter I, cbsi.com. Continue to send those in. Make sure that you are available for the draft. The days for the draft will be Sunday, March 28th at 6 p.m. Eastern time for our head-to-head categories for the People League. And the head-to-head points podcast league draft will be the very next night on Monday, March 29th at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So make sure that you are available for the draft before sending in a submission. The last thing we want is, you know, you winning and then you find out you can't draft because that would uh, mess everything up and we don't want that to happen. So get those in by next week and I will announce the winners on next Thursday's podcast. If you're watching on the video side, don't go anywhere. If you are listening, we're going to take a quick break. But when we return, we have more risers and fallers, some news and notes and players who get boosted up in OBP leagues. Many people have been asking this question. I've got that coming up for you next on Fantasy Baseball Today. Let's quickly hit on a few more of these risers and fallers. The last one we talked about was Sandy Alcantara. Uh, Chris, I know that you've been on Cattell Marte all spring, even before spring. You were you were all over that, but um, he's looked even better. So how, how much more can you actually justify moving him up the ranks? Uh, there's no, there's no limit. Okay, so... Uh, He'll be a first. He'll be a first round pick soon. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's <laughs> clearly the case. Um, yeah, he's forty. Well, forty five for me in roto leagues. Um, he's basically f- back where he was last year for you. Yeah, and I, I that um, that just kind of highlights my confidence level in him. Uh, I've I've talked about him a lot. I, I if he finishes the number one second baseman this season, it wouldn't shock me even a little bit. I think him and DJ LeMay, who actually have very similar skill sets, I think I'd probably take Marte to get more home runs and stolen bases. So it mostly comes down to, you know, the the runs in RBI, I think, will be in uh, LeMahieu's favor because of that lineup. But I think it's going to be really close. And, you know, that's why I'm perfectly happy to pass on LeMahieu and Albies in particular. I, it, I'll take what Merrifield for the stolen bases, but you know, I, I'm really happy to get Cattell Marte as my second base. Maybe you said on a previous show, but why are you so confident the power is coming back? Because two home runs and 181 at-bats last year, yep. an ex-lug of 375. Yep. It just... uh, he was dealing with a wrist injury last season. Um he was he had the fifth highest max exit max exit velo in the entire league last season. 
which is frankly stunning. Um, it is. A uh, <laughs> stack has didn't seem to care when setting his X lug. Yeah. B, um, two home runs. Yeah. His hard hit rate was lower. His, um, his average exit velocity was lower, but he still hit a bunch of balls in that 110, 115 mile per hour range. And so far in the spring, I haven't looked at it in a few days, but uh, earlier this week, he was leading all players who were tracked, which is only 10 of the 30 parks. Um, but he had the most batted balls over 110 miles an hour. And I think he had one that was like 116, which is elite for anyone not named Vlad or Giancarlo. Um, so, yeah, I just play discipline's excellent. He's going to hit for a high average. And I, I believe in the power. I think he's a, a legitimate power hitter. And last season was just weird. You know, like you, you can have a, he only played like 40 games or something. You can have a 40 game stretch where you only hit two home runs and still be a good power hitter. Yeah. And, and I really do think that the wrist hampered his season. So I'm, yeah. I'm buying in more on Cattell Marte. Current ADP on Fantasy Pros is 77.2. He's not in the fourth round of my rankings like he is for Chris, but um, I would be willing to pull him up one round higher than his ADP right now to ensure that I get him. Uh, because again, second base, we have some sleepers, but you want a a potential impact bat. I think Cattell Marte could be one of those. Scott, let's talk about a few of these um, lower end players that you've been moving up the ranks. And uh, let's focus on two Rockies here, Brendan Rodgers and CJ Crone. Crone is having a monster spring. He's 10 for 31, two home runs. First base competition there at the Rockies. Seems like he mm-hmm. is close to locking that up. So talk to me about these uh, these Rockies, Crone and Rogers. Yeah, I just, I mean, CJ Crone, you could have argued that was a position battle at the start of the spring, and it's just clear that he's he's the guy at first base for the Rockies. And, you know, currently I have him behind guys like Jamer Candelario, Brandon Belt, Renato Nunez. And so I never have a chance at him in dress. And that's silly because, you know, CJ Crone, uh, you know, he's been a power hitter for most of his major league career. He's had a surprisingly good contact rate too. And that's going to Coors Field. Um, I think sometimes it 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 doesn't, there, there's, there's kind of a misconception that it's all about adding power. But the biggest thing Coors Field does is add batting average because yep. the, the outfield is so big. Uh, everybody's bad bit gets boosted like, I don't know exactly how much, 30 to 50 points. It gets boosted a lot. So, um, you know, it, it's not outside the realm of possibility. Crone is a 300 hitter this year with power in that park. Rogers, obviously he has the Coors Field thing going for him as well, but he was a stud prospect until the injury troubles of the past two years. And he's dealing with a bit of a hamstring thing now. It doesn't sound like it's going to keep him out for the start of the season. Uh, he was hitting really well the spring before that. He said he wanted to steal 20 bases this year in addition to everything he does with the bat. So uh, I, 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 he seems like the, 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 the epitome of a post-type sleeper to me because like his ADP is around 400 or something. <laughs> Nobody seems to want him, and they should. Scott, how far are you moving CJ Crone up? Because I don't, unless you were leaving him at, 32, I feel like you're probably going to move him up higher than that. Are, like, how high are we going? Are we talking like Yuli Gurriel range? 
for CJ Crone? I mean, if, if you gave me the choice, I'd, I'd want him over Guriel. Uh, let me okay. see who else that's putting him ahead of. That that would move him ahead of Cronenworth, Bobby Dahlbeck, Hunter Dozier. Yeah, I, I want him more than Christian Walker. I, I think okay. 22nd seems about right. I need to get him up there behind Jared Walsh and uh, ahead of Christian Walker. Again, that is CJ Crone, who looks like he is going to wrap up the Rockies' starting first base job. Chris, we'll go back to some of your risers here. Aaron Hicks, you've been adamant about all offseason. Let, let's pair these two up together. Aaron Hicks and Aaron Savale, the A-Arons. I haven't heard... I mean, I know why I like Savale, but I haven't heard your reasoning for why you you are buying in on Savale as well. So talk to me about the A-Arons. Uh, same reason for Savale. You know, I, I think this new arm path that he's introduced. Um, you know, it's all about shortening the arm path. I think he's throwing from a little bit of a higher arm angle and uh, he's talking about, you know, focusing on his four seamer more. And that is, you know, when you're coming from a high arm slot, you're going to have, you should have better spin efficiency, which is one of these newfangled terms, but it basically just how much of your spin matters in terms of the movement of the pitch um, and those are things that matter for getting whiffs. He's got great control. He's got a deep arsenal. Uh, he's got this new, it's a splitter, right? That he's introducing. I think it's, yeah, split change. But yeah. even without that, he already had, he had four he or had five changeups. Yeah. Yeah. He had a changeup. I think he's throwing his changeup like a splitter now. Um, and those two pitches are, can often be interchangeable. Um, so. I, you know, he was solid in 2019 and in 2020, his ERA was like right around four until his last start of the season. I believe he got uh, bombed in that last start. Yeah, it was 3.99 before that start and it boosted up to, I think, 4.82 to wrap up the season. And it came against the Pirates, which was the worst of all. I remember it too. Scott and I were (laughs) suggesting pitchers to start for the weekend streamers. I was like, yeah, Savale, man, he's going up against the Pirates. Uh, if, you, if you started him, you might have cost... It was, kind of, it was kind of shaky before that, though, too. It was, yeah, he was. really a six-start stretch. Where for sure, yeah. It's hard to trust. Um, yeah, and, and I think, you know, it's fair to wonder whether he has enough stuff, um, you know, given, like, there's always this balance between throwing in the strike zone. Like, it's the command versus control thing. Does he really have great command, or does he just have... Does he throw a lot of strikes? And those aren't the same things. Uh, a pitch out of the strike zone can be a very good pitch sometimes. And, you know, there are, you know, I, I, I have similar concerns about Plezak. Um, and, and I view Plezak and Savali fairly similarly. It's just, you know, I diverge from the consensus on both. In Savali's going yeah. 100 picks later almost. So it's, yeah. it's much easier I, to get him than Plezak. I'm taking Savale out of bus 3.02 because yeah, it, let's it, go, it's, well, it sounds like he's making such radical changes, his delivery and a new changeup. That's mm-hmm. that, and nobody that's, wants him. That could be a profile changer, you know, like and that, he's cheap. He, we don't even, I don't even really know what Aaron Savale is anymore with those changes. So I know he has a really good curveball and, uh, I'm probably not going to draft him much because somebody else is going to be more enthusiastic, but I don't feel comfortable like saying don't draft him anymore either. A few risers for me that I haven't mentioned yet. Gary Sanchez, I moved up to my fifth rank catcher just ahead of Travis Darno. I think 
Sanchez has about as much upside as anyone at the position. He also probably has as much downside as anyone at the position. Bobby Witt, I finally got in the shortstop ranks. He is ranked 28th as of now, just behind Willie Castro. But if they announce he will be the on the opening day roster, then Bobby Witt is probably inside my top 20 shortstops. So I will make that change. And man, I look like such a homer. I didn't even plan this. I have moved Domingo Herman up to SP64. He's been lights out in the spring. Nine shutout innings, 13 strikeouts to one walk. And uh, he throws this curveball 36% of the time back in 2019. Domingo Herman had a 20% swinging strike rate on that pitch alone. So he gets a lot of whiffs, and obviously the run support could get a lot of wins there with the New York Yankees as well. Quickly just mention some fallers. Scott, you have uh, Craig, uh, Craig Kimbrell, who is dropping in the ranks. But just how far? Because I'm trying to figure out you probably move him behind Ryan Presley, right? But then you get to Devin Williams and Nick Anderson and Will Smith. And, I mean, Kimbrell probably has more... He definitely has more job security than those other guys. They don't even have a job. So, how far, well, are, you, how far are you dropping Craig Kimbrell? Oh, maybe Chris won't like this, but I, I want to drop Kimbrell far enough that I don't get him, basically. <laughs> we have, he hasn't been a good closer since 2018. And he's having more delivery issues this spring. And so I don't trust him to get it turned around quickly enough. I, I think he's capable still. I think the stuff is more or less there, but he's just he's, he's just having trouble finding the groove he needs to be in to be effective. And like you don't get a long leash as a closer ever. So um I definitely move him behind Will Smith and Amir Garrett. Probably behind like Rafael Montero, probably down to like 19th in my rankings, which is, you know, kind of in that Greg Holland territory. Uh, and then hope I don't face the prospect of having to decide in the draft whether I should take him there. Damn. All right. A fall from grace for one Craig Kimbrell. Uh, for Chris, a few fallers here. Cody Bellinger, who did hit a towering home run in spring training on Thursday. I have no idea how he got it out. It's like 41 degree launch angle. It looked like a pop-up and it just kept going. So you like to see that if you drafted Cody Bellinger, Patrick Corbin, I assume that's for velocity reasons. Chris, that makes sense. Kevin Gosman. Why is he, why is he dropped falling in your ranks? It sounds like he's not going to start throwing his splitter until the regular season. And, uh, he is not a good pitcher if he's not throwing his splitter sure. uh, to, to, you know, to not mince words, I guess. Um, so yeah, I just he's just not he's not throwing it in spring. It's, it's the same thing that's been happening in years past. He's talked about it in the past where I think the you main know. issue was uh blisters and he wants to build up his uh finger strength um to be able to throw the the splitter consistently. And this was an issue in his Baltimore days where he would not throw the splitter until like his last start of spring training and then come out of the gate with hype because he closed the previous season strong and get bombed for the first month or two. And um, I'm just worried that that's what we're going to see again. Oh, it's a good point that you bring up. Dom Smith is currently dealing with a wrist injury. Um, were you dropping him because of that injury, Chris, or were you worried about playing time even before that? Um. Yeah, I, I'm. I think there are more questions about his bat than his initial price indicated, and he just might not be playable defensively out in the outfield. And I, 
I don't think they're going to sit P. Alonzo, nor should they. So, uh, yeah, he might not be an everyday player. I, I, I like him. Um, I'm starting to wonder, like, should we get back into J.D. Davis? Is he going to play more than Dom Smith? He hasn't done anything uh, in the spring either. J.D. Davis, that is. Yeah. Um, but that, yeah, it's more pessimism about Dom Smith than than anything else. It's so tough, I, too, because I, I love the player, man. I, I think yeah. Dom Smith, you know, since the start of 2019, 139 games, 299 batting average, 21 home runs, 937 OPS. StatCast was off the charts last year for this guy. 304 expected batting average, 95th percentile. 568 expected slug, 94th percentile. And he can hit lefties. Dom Smith is really, really awesome. And it's, it just sucks that this wrist injury is coming at a terrible time right before the, before the season starts. And here's the Mets just, they always find a way to do something like this. It's frustrating. One thing I would point out, and this is not necessarily an argument that Dom Smith is bad. It's just putting it out there. Uh, J.D. Davis in 2019 had an 895 OPS in 453 plate appearances. In 2019 and 2020, Dom Smith has 396 plate appearances. He has 40 fewer plate appearances, basically, than J.D. Davis had in 2019. And we saw J.D. Davis' 2019 was not necessarily reflective of his performance in 2020. I think he can bounce back. Um, but their numbers are actually shockingly similar uh, across those two sample sizes. And so it's just... It's just a warning that despite the fact that we are talking like what Dom Smith has done over the last two seasons, it's two thirds of an actual season's worth of plate appearances. We're still talking about like it's too early to say if we know who Dom Smith is. It's fair. I mean, he, he comes with some prospect pedigree too. It took sure. him a couple of years and it, I, I would lean towards he's closer to this player. I mean, is he at Me 900 plus OPS bad? I mean, that's yeah. that's, you know. That's elite territory. Elite. Yeah, so. I, I think more like 860, but that would be really awesome if he played every day. I just, I'm not convinced he will. Well, we're, we're 55 minutes in. It seems like a good time to talk about news and notes. I mean, there wasn't really <laughs> much news outside of Carlos Carrasco anyway. I mentioned Cody Bellinger. He went two for four on Thursday with three hard hit balls, according to StatCast, including a home run. Uh, Scott, I know you wrote about Cody Bellinger's new batting stance recently in your spring notebook. Is there anything you would like to highlight there? Not really, just that it's another variable that's just, who knows, who knows. It, it's a lot like what he had as a rookie in 2017 when he won Rookie of the Year, but he was a more one-dimensional hitter than, you know, the guy we saw in 2019, so I don't know. I don't know. I, it's, I, I, I just don't want to go near that with the second-round price tag right now. Denelson Lamette threw two innings in a simulated game. On Thursday, it's still unclear whether or not he will be ready for opening day. And we mentioned that when talking about Mackenzie Gore on Thursday's podcast. Scott, you have Lamette up at SP23 in your ranks. Chris has him at SP36. I have him at SP33. This is Lamette. Uh, uh, do you plan to drop him or because that, that still uh, that seems sounds pretty high? high. That sounds, sounds high. Let me, yeah, I don't, I'm surprised I hadn't lowered him yet. No, he shouldn't be that high. Shouldn't be that. He should be outside of my top 30, for sure. Uh, I would take him over Carrasco. I would take him over Framber Valdez. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's weird is I have him 36. He's 119 in my overall rankings. 
And there have been several drafts in the last week or so where he's actually been the top player or top starting pitcher on my board, um, which is kind of interesting that there's been you know, a lot of downward movement for him. Noah Syndergaard, we mentioned this already, but he's working his way back from Tommy John. He threw a bullpen session on Thursday and apparently was hitting 96 miles per hour, even though he was not throwing at 100%. Steven Strasburg will throw a four-inning simulated game on Friday. He had no issues in a bullpen session on Wednesday. Chris, if you are drafting this weekend, are you still taking Strasburg around his current ADP, which is 63.4, or... Would you be willing to pay the $22 price tag that he went for in our salary cap draft um, this past week? So ADP 63, $22. Would you spend it on Strasburg? That all sounds a little expensive uh, to me, and I, I would probably pass, but I, I would guess you're not going to actually have to spend a 64 overall pick to get him well, right now. And this is one taking, of those you're things. You're Carrasco out of that range. Yeah, but That's, this is one of those things where like, I saw some comments in the in the FBT Facebook group that were like, oh, great, here we go again with Strasburg. And like, I get it. Yes, he has been injured every single season except for like two in his entire career. He's never had a leg injury. He's never gone on the IL for a leg injury or a lower body injury of any sort. This isn't same old Strasburg. Like, I don't believe that there is like, like he got- And Chris is gone. There's... There is at least a 50% chance that his cat disconnected something because his cat was all up in his face right now for those that are watching. Uh, if you're listening, give you a little bit of a visual there. So Strasburg, uh, Chris isn't as worried because it's a, a leg injury, but I think it's, I think it's still kind of worrisome. It's, it's a calf. Yeah, it's, I, I'm not downgrading him because of the injury. He sounds, it sounds like he's fine. So, you know, if, if you don't trust Strasburg to stay healthy in general, if you don't trust him to be good in general that's you know i think those are arguments that could be made but this this spring this spring injury sounds like a nothing burger to me chris are you all right did uh, david bowie disconnect something she's really on one <laughs> and it's it's like just don't step on my keyboard like whatever else you want to do just like it, i'm whatever. sure you have she closed the browser is what happened so i'm yeah i'm frustrated but to go back to what I was saying, to, to continue the conversation, I don't believe Steven Strasburg has like a calcium deficiency or whatever the muscular and tendron version of calcium is uh, that makes him. Did you just make that, that word like, up? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Um, you know, like I don't think there's some mechanism in his body that makes like, oh, his elbow gets hurt a lot. And also it makes his calf more likely to get hurt. Like, this was just a weird thing. He's never had a history of this kind of injury. Uh, and the fact that he seems fine, I, I think you should probably be putting him back where he was pre-calf thing. This isn't really a news item, but it's just an update on Kesson Hira, who throughout the spring has played in 11 games. He is 4 for 26 with 11 strikeouts and just one walk. So a strikeout per game for Kesson Hira. You hate to see it. Uh, let's just wrap up here. A lot of people have been emailing in and asking, please talk about players who are better in OBP category leagues instead of batting average. So let's wrap here. Um, these are the ones I plugged in the projections from ATC, and, and these were the biggest risers that I can find uh, in, in dollar value in OBP leagues. Yasmani Grandal at the catcher position. This is first batting average, of course. Anthony Rizzo, 
Reese Hoskins, Kevin Biggio, Marcus Semyon, Alex Bregman, Chris Bryant, Matt Chapman, Bryce Harper, probably a borderline first-round pick in an OBP league, Marcelo Zuna, George Springer, Joey Gallo, <laughs> Max Kepler, Andrew McCutcheon, and Aaron Hicks. I know it's not completely translatable, Scott, but I think players who see um, a rise in OBP leagues, it also factors into head-to-head points. So I think that's yeah, yeah, easily yeah. translatable. There's a, there's a strong correlation yep. there between players who rise in OBP category leagues and players who rise in points. I'm surprised Max Muncy wasn't among them. He's like yeah. the first name that came to mind for Muncy, me. Muncy should have been. I probably miss him. Um, did you say Judge? Yeah. I did not. He should be on this list as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's he's fine in batting average, but he's you know can be elite in on base percentage. Yeah. And, and Carlos Santana, you know, yeah. he he ends up being like a three fifty ish OBP because the batting average is so low, but he walks a lot, so it's it definitely helps his value when it's OBP rather than batting average. And I think you can make the case for Mike Trout and Juan Soto as the number one overall player in on-base percentage leagues. I, I think you could probably still lean Acuna just because he did see a pretty significant increase in his walk rate last season that hopefully uh, is sustainable. But, uh, you know, Trout is the odds-on favorite to lead the league in on-base percentage. I think he's done it in the American League like four or five straight years or something like that. Mark Canna, if you have any yep. hope for him rebounding power wise lead off hitter Even last year didn't hit that well still almost reached pace at like a 390 clip players who Brandon lose Nimmo. yeah Nimmo for sure uh it sounds like he is going to start even against left-handed pitching as well oh, really i hadn't heard that yeah he's been starting against left-handed wow. pitching in that, uh, in that actually makes me feel worse about Tom, dominic smith's Tom chances because uh, they got those two uh <laughs> they got kevin pilar there you know yeah but he's gonna he's gotta play some Oh, man. Somebody free Dom Smith. This is its so frustrating to me. Players who lose value in OBP leagues instead of uh, batting average formats. Salvador Perez does not walk much. Jose Abreu, Whit Merrifield, Adalberto Mondesi, Javier Baez, Tim Anderson, Eloy Jimenez. The White Sox don't walk very much. Byron Buxton, Eddie Rosario, and Victor Robles. Scott, anyone else come to mind that would lose value in an OBP format? Well, pretty much my whole tout worst team. Cause, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I think you can even look at some higher-end guys like DJ LeMay, who probably loses a little value in an OBP league because he goes from you know potentially the best in the game in batting average to above average, but not, not great by any stretch of the imagination in on-base percentage. You know, and, he's probably going to be like a 355 on-base percentage guy. We, we'll t- Rafael Devers. Yeah, he doesn't walk a ton. He's, you know, six, seven percent, but definitely could be better. We let's talk about this a little bit more next week, Chris, because you, you brought up something that that kind of got the wheels turning in my head was especially for someone like LeMahieu in Roto. Part of why he's so good in batting average is the volume, too. Right. So it's sure. the, the plate appearances, but it's how many hits he gets. It's not just because his batting yeah. average it is the best in the league. It's the best in the league over the course of almost 700 plate appearances of a full season. He he raises your denominator as well while, you know, increasing your overall batting average. Like a a guy who hits 320 in 650 plate appearances is much more valuable than a guy who hits 320 in in 400 plate appearances. Exactly. Anthony Santan Chicken Tender. 
Ooh, now I'm hungry, Scott. We will wrap there. For Scott and Chris, I'm Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. Have a great weekend of drafting, and we will be back again tomorrow with our bonus mailbag. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.